you're really going to like this guy. You're going to like his leadership. You two are probably going to be close and become friends, and we have, and I've just really enjoyed watching Aaron grow. Welcome, everyone, to the Driving Vision Podcast brought to you by the Ziegler Auto Group. I'm your host, Sam Dark, and here with me, Auto Group Director of Talent Development, Mike Van Ryan. Welcome, Mike. Hey, thanks, Sam. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, like it if you do, and leave a comment. Mike, here at the podcast, we focus on those who have a big vision of the future and drive that vision through their leadership. Today's guest does just that. First, as the youngest NCAA coach then at Western Michigan, continuing today his vision at Minnesota. Head coach PJ Fleck will discuss his decision to leave Western Michigan, his process in making that decision, his philosophy on leadership, vision, and developing young talent. Hear why his team runs from one play to the next together and how PJ encourages teammates to ask questions of leaders and coaches. Also, how PJ has turned the adversity of COVID into big opportunity for Minnesota, his players, and even his own family. Let's turn now to Coach PJ Fleck and Aaron Ziegler. Good to be here, Sam. Thanks, Sam. And then a special guest, Mike. Will you tell us who is with us today from Kalamazoo, Michigan, Western Michigan fame, and a direct tight connection to the Ziegler Automotive Group? Uh, who, do, who do we have today, Mike? Well, we have my favorite, Coach P.J. Fleck. <laughs> Somebody from Michigan State uh, must not have been able to do this today. So I'm, <laughs> I'm a last-minute fill-in, which is okay, but that's all right. I'll take it, you know. Away from Michigan for a little while, but that's all right. I'll take the fill-in role. <laughs> Listen, really happy to be here. We're going to talk around next week, but we figure you'll set the uh, standard high, P.J. So, P.J., it is absolutely no fill-in, and the reason is this. The entire purpose of this podcast, which is going external this month, we're excited to have you be part of the initial drop is around vision. And there may be nobody else in NCAA football in today's world that creates vision more than PJ Fleck of Minnesota. And we watched your growth as you went through Western and were tightly, closely affiliated with the Ziegler Auto Group. And we've watched you do what you do at Michigan. So PJ, the first introductory question, what is your vision of the world and how does P.J. Fleck hope to change the world by what you're doing now? Gosh, I'm not sure if I should be asked a question about changing the world because I, I'm literally a, a sixth grade social studies teacher and a football coach. But I think vision's long term. You know, I think we, we talk about where you want to be and, and, and the influence you want to have. And I know we don't have control over our legacy and what people talk about and what they say about us when we're gone. But you do everything you can to leave an impact. You know, we talk about making life really hard. And I think there's a major difference between hard and bad. You know, I just with row the boat and then doing everything you can to be the best you can be. That's what our whole vision is, is, is finding a way to change your best every day and waking up better to, tomorrow than you were today. Yeah. And in fact, PJ, you say my entire life has been about running into the fire, not away from the fire. Where'd you get that mentality from? Where did that come from and how does that drive you? I think I heard that somewhere. You know, I think we all want to have a certain mentality that separates us from someone. I think Winston Churchill said it best when he said, being a political leader is doing what your colleagues couldn't do and wouldn't do. Leadership's <laughs> all about doing the hard. It's doing things that maybe go against the grain a little bit, not to make it against the grain and just stand out, but because it has to be done and it has to be done with someone and by someone. And you need to do it with decisiveness and clarity and 
be a strategic thinker and, and, and create vision for everybody around you. And I think that's really difficult to do. And it's not an exact science. I think everybody does it a little bit differently. So everyone does do it a little differently. And it's interesting when I think about your intensity, drive and vision, but then I also work for Mr. Aaron Ziegler and I see his drive, his vision, his intensity. You two are very similar in that way. Tell us a little bit, PJ, about your history with the Ziegler Auto Group and uh, your time at Western Michigan. Yeah, for Aaron was one of the first people I ever met uh, when I got hired at Western Michigan. I was a 31, 32-year-old punk. I mean, I'm yep. coming from the yep. National Football League. I really never spent any time in Kalamazoo. And I remember I got picked up from the airport. And my first stop was to see Aaron. And Kathy Beauregard, who was the athletic director who just retired, brought me in there and said, you're really going to like this guy. You're going to like his leadership. You two are probably going to be close and become friends. And, and we have. And I've just really enjoyed you know, watching Aaron grow Ziegler Automotive Group. Uh, every time I look up, there's another billion, you know, billion added <laughs> yes. a billion before from the year before. And he continues to set the bar really high and, and challenges people to be better and really never rest on his laurels. I mean, there's probably a lot of times, whether it's Dan or whether it's Mike Van Ryan or, or Kevin, that the decisions, you know, Aaron's like, hey, we're going to do this and make it even bigger and better. They're probably like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But now look at where Ziegler Automotive Group is, comparatively speaking, to even when his dad had it and what he's been able to do with it. And I always admire leaders that take something and make it better. And I think Aaron's a great example of that in the community and, and not just, you know, with his company, but what he does on the outside for the people around the city of Kalamazoo and the state of Michigan. So high praise and high accolades, Aaron, as you think about PJ and his time at Western Michigan, the legacy he created there, what did that mean to the community and how did you chart that growth? When PJ came to Kalamazoo, Western football was really non-existent. You know, there was fights in the locker room. It was just an absolute train wreck. You know, from the day I met PJ, he brought this energy and, and vision, and he showed me his first day on the job a 300-page playbook of what he wanted to accomplish with the team. And I said, how did you create this? You just got the job a couple of days ago. And he said, I've been preparing to be a head football coach since I was 18 years old. I went around the country, and I, I studied and learned from the best coaches out there. And he goes, so I'm prepared and ready to do this. And he, he laid out this plan. And I said, this is the best plan I've ever seen. Like, you could go start a Fortune 500 company with this plan and kill it. And four years later, he's undefeated and in the Cotton Bowl. And, and the entire town revolved around Western Michigan football. People were kind of shocked at this. And I, I wasn't surprised at all because I'd seen the plan from day one. And he executed and did exactly what he said he was going to do. And you know, I always say most people aren't aggressive enough and don't think big enough. And PJ's not one of those guys. He's very aggressive and thinks very big. And, you know, we were, we were fortunate enough to uh, to live it because it was really exciting times here in uh, in Kalamazoo when, when they were going through all the success that they had. And, you know, when he went to Minnesota, I said, you know, hang on, Minnesota, because you guys are going to be winners. And that's a, another program that, that perennial had not been very successful. And they had – probably more issues than Western Michigan University had in there. And I remember asking PJ, why the heck do you want this job? It's like 30 degrees below zero. If you're, a, if you're an athlete in Minnesota, you're a hockey player. They haven't done anything in 50 years there. And um, he goes, because they need me and I can help out. And I said, you know, that's a great reason. They do need you up there. They'd had a bunch of um, players arrested and sexual assaults and all this stuff the year before. And then three years later, you see them um, going up and winning bowl games at the SEC and, you know, one of the best records in the history of their, their program. And again, everybody was surprised. And I wasn't surprised because whatever PJ does, he's going to be uh, very successful at. 
so PJ, you clearly had a vision about what it would take to become a great coach and the team you wanted to build as a coach. What inspired you to want to become that leader that had that impact? In leadership, are you trying to do something or are you trying to be somebody? You know, I think there's there's a big difference in those things. And I think a lot of people said that uh, even before me. I mean, that I was taught that all the time. Are you going to be a part of something bigger than you or are you going to just make it about you? And that's what Row the Boat's all about. Row the Boat's not about me. Row the Boat's not just about my son Colton. Row the Boat's not just about you. It's about everybody in the boat, rowing the boat in the same direction, same speed, same efficiency, all on the same page, getting from point A to point B in the most efficient way possible and having the most fun as possible, developing the best way possible. I think for me, it's just, it's about creating something way bigger than all of us. And again, like I said before, is making life hard. I truly live that. And maybe at a, to a fault at times, you have this passion of finding a way to change things, wanting to make them better. Again, too much of a good thing's a bad thing. And sometimes I can hurt things at times. Um, but but you're, you're so driven to, to find a new way or a better way to do it. Even if it's the same way after you research it, it was worth it. So I think just finding a way to make life a little bit harder each day when us as human beings fight human nature every day to be pretty pretty lazy, I would say. You know, we're pretty a lazy species. So it's interesting, PJ, that you use the word lazy. And then and then Mike's going to talk to you a little bit about the book because we, we want to know more about it. We want to know how our listeners can get a copy. You say lazy. If there's one coach in the NCAA that expresses enormous energy and an intensity, it's you. The first few games I showed my kids on television, I'm like, look, watch him. Not only is he going to walk to the other side of the field with his team, he's going to run to beat him. And that trademark set you apart from other coaches, but probably also endeared you to your players. Where do you get that energy from? How do you preserve and cultivate that energy in your leadership, PJ? Well, the great thing about the people I've had a chance to work for is they've allowed me to be myself. I get to be me. I don't have to be anybody else but me. And and when you're yourself, though, people are going to (laughs) hate you. That's true. Hating's part of that. Uh, You're going to have people who don't want you to be successful. And when you are yourself, you will stand out. I think just so many people blend in because they're so afraid to be themselves. They just act how they're supposed to act. But everything we do inside our program is completely intentional, not just done with intent. There's a difference between those two things. Kevin Eastman talks about that in his book, Why the Best are the Best, about being intentional. And that made a lot of sense to me. We do everything we can every single day to make sure that the vision and the purpose of everything that we do is completely intentional. And everybody can ask why. If we're doing something, they can all ask why, and they're going to get a real answer. But I get to be myself, and I've been very fortunate and lucky as well. I'm a person who believes in timing and and fit and placement. I am. And, you know, I've worked for people who allowed me to be the fit that they needed at that university, and that was just being myself. So running from sideline to sideline, that's just me. It's us being a little bit different. It's us being finding an edge, creating an edge. And all why we do that is so we rest together so we don't just keep walking and coaching and I'm listening, now I'm not listening and somebody caught my attention in the stands and I went off to get water. We all sprint down, get in our huddle and now we can rest. And now everybody's eyes are locked in and the communication can happen more efficiently. Yeah, you know, that intensity is contagious. You know, you talk about, I have a crack on my shoulder, not a chip. And you show that in the way you coach and the way you lead and you engage with your players. Asking why, as you described it, takes courage from people who are being led by great leaders. Sometimes leaders can be so great, visions can be so big that it's tough to ask why. Do you have a story of one of your players maybe asking a why and the courage it took to do so and uh, your response? 
If not, okay, but I'm curious if you have a, an example. You know, we went through something really difficult in, in 2020, not with the pandemic, but here in Minnesota, Minneapolis, Twin City area with George Floyd being killed. Yeah. And our players, you know, I'm, here I am as a as, as a bald white guy that makes a lot of money and coaches football and the majority of your players are African-American and you can never really be sympathetic because I never know what it's going to be like to be them. But I can be the most empathetic head football coach in the country. And I remember our players, and this is a quote from, you know, from people that, during that time is be the change you want to see. And I think that made me want to be the most empathetic head football coach. And I, I thought I was pretty empathetic before that, but our program and our culture is so much better uh, since 2020 and so much stronger and, and even more real than it's ever been. And I think when you're challenged by your players, and we had a lot of things in place already with our social diversity classes and racism classes and things like that going on, but not to the extent that we even have now. And it's not something we've checked the box and moved on. It's, it's still very real and, and very up to date in our program as we speak. And I think when you shut up and listen, you can learn a lot more than when you talk. Yeah. And I think as leaders and even as coaches, we talk all the time. I've learned the most when I've shut up <laughs> and, uh, and I can just listen. And the best li- leaders are truly the best listeners. And yeah. I think that's what I've learned over my, you know, now going on 10 years being a head coach already. I, I, I think I've been a better listener than I've ever been. That's awesome. And that also shows an element of being player led, which is something you talk a lot about. So you mentioned one of the challenges of COVID and how you responded to it. Any other big opportunities that, that came to you as a coach during COVID that you had to have some courage to seize and maybe weren't popular? Well, we had a right. We wrote a book. That was one that was a little unique uh, too, yeah. uh, during COVID. We're, we're going to go a football story real quick. We're going to play at Nebraska where we haven't won since the 50s, I think. It was when everybody was canceling games. We're just like everybody else, but we're in a, a metro area with 3 million people and you know 50,000 people on campus, but there's still, you know, you take your 50,000 people off campus, you still got 2,950,000 around here. And uh, COVID hit us pretty hard. So we're going to go play Nebraska and we find out we're going to be 35 players short. We're going to be around 16 starters short. I remember our athletic director coming in and, and saying, what do we do? And me tell, asking him the same thing and basically told our team, listen, uh, here's the situation. Our players wanted to play. We played a lot of kids who had never started, never played before and went out there and, and beat a pretty healthy Nebraska team. And it was probably one of the most memorable wins I've ever had as a head coach. I know as our program and culture, same thing, because they did things that people told them they weren't going to be able to do. And now those guys who started that game are the next generation of our players who have played a lot either last year or going to play a lot this year. But it just shows that, you know, the team's not about one person and everybody has an opportunity at some point, especially with this transfer portal and this NIL market. You just never know when it's going to be your turn. And uh, patience is a virtue. And again, it's that's one of the most memorable games. And nobody will ever remember that game. Uh, we, we ended up three and four year, but me, <laughs> yeah. I'll remember it for the rest of our life. And that's an epic stadium, right? It's one of the iconic stadiums in all of college football. So, because it was at Nebraska, right? It was at Nebraska. They yeah. had, you know, 300 and some sellouts in a row. And it yeah. was dead quiet because it was yeah. COVID. And it was very eerie. It was unique especially a stadium with that type of tradition. And then our players, uh, the amount of talent we had out that game, really to have the program come through and win that game was really huge for the development and the big giant step forward for where we are right now. So a quick story, PJ, I was driving back from Chicago the day you played there and I was staying at a hotel near the stadium. And the one thing I remember is I drove out of town because you couldn't go in the stadium was how odd it was. It was completely empty outside and you could hear cheers being piped in over the sound system from the stadium. They actually had 
bad uh, fake crowd piped in, which has got to change the mood for players and a coach and just the whole interaction. So oh, it definitely does. And then people were so good at it, but there were times where they missed the cue and it come at the wrong time. And it was just, whether it was home or away, I mean, it was just, it was really awkward at times. You know, you got cardboard cutouts of still people's their faces. Yes. Still. yes. Um, yes. And you only did it in portions where, you know, you'd score a touchdown and you'd see people at times, but it was, it was one of the most unique years uh, I've ever seen and we'll, we'll ever see. Yeah. And we'll look back one day and, and wonder why we did it and, and how we did it and be glad we don't go back. So, Mike, row the boat. Talk to us about that book, Mike. Coach, you wrote your first book. We want to congratulate you on that and your success there. And I know a ton of our team members at Ziegler have read that book and a lot of our listeners have as well. So talk to us about what it means to you to write your first book and also work with a guy like John Gordon. Yeah, I mean, I was doing pretty much what everybody else was doing in March and April of 2020. We were all <laughs> in the house and finding ways to improve and do the yeah. Zoom thing. And uh, John Gordon and I, you know, we've known each other for a long time. We always talked that if we ever wrote a book of Row the Boat, he'd be the perfect author. And he agreed because it fits exactly what he does. It's a very short, simple saying that has a deep meaning that everybody can relate to, whether it's uh, the education department or the business sector or the medical field. Everybody can really, you know, uh, take row the boat and apply it to their lifestyle and and can help change their life and make their life about serving and giving and. And so John approached me and we, we got it done and, and it didn't take very long. I was shocked. I mean, I never really wrote a book before and you just kind of took about four days to actually write, you know, just kind of go down there and get up early and, and start typing away and put together exactly how you want to do it, go through the editing process. But we're really excited about it. Obviously, the book benefits the Masonic Children's Hospital here at the University of Minnesota. I wrote the boat fund here and helps a lot of people as well as the Ronald McDonald House. That's what the whole point of the book was, was to really, you know, help other people create hope, create some type of positivity. When people were going to come out of this COVID mess, they were going to need some type of guidance to really connect people. And we thought it was a perfect time for what Row the Boat meant. Absolutely. Congratulations on that. I read that book. It was amazing. And take us back to the conversation you had with your wife, Heather, about you taking the Minnesota position. Oh, that was that was a long evening. You know, a lot of people think that was done within, I mean, 48 hours. It was so yeah. quick. You know, I hadn't even talked to Minnesota, you know, after the Cotton Bowl was done. I met, there was a quote me saying that I'm going back to Kalamazoo. Where are you going? When they asked me, because we were literally getting ready to sign a new deal at Western Michigan. And, and I'm all about, you know, it's got to be the right fit. It's got to be a calling. It's got to be, I got to be able to answer every question why. And Heather being from Michigan and, you know, our family being so close there, it, it was going to take something really special and somewhere that we were really needed. And not that we weren't needed in Kalamazoo, but, you know, Jim Trestle told me a long time ago, you're not the only one that can do your job at a high level. And uh, he was right. You know, we took Western Michigan to really special places and did special things in the bad way at 1-11 and 11 and also 13-1. and 1. Uh, We had both spectrums. But there had to be something that was going to be different and unique enough to pull us away. And a lot of people said, well, why Minnesota? Because it was we were being called there. Like Aaron stated earlier, we felt like we were needed. We felt like we could have a major impact in how we run a program on and off the field. And, and that's why we're here. And to Heather's credit, she was so supportive. I mean, she was the one jumping up and down early saying, this is it. This is this is where we sh- we're supposed to be. Because there were a lot of opportunities before that. This one was different and unique enough and a perfect fit for what we are and who we are and uh, what we want out of our life. And we get to work for people, like I said, that allow you to create a life and not just make a living. And uh, we actually live a life here. And I think that's really important in this profession. Could I just ask Aaron, Aaron, what was your thought when you heard that news? So it's, it's the next level for PJ and him and I were talking a lot behind the scenes. And of course, I wanted him selfishly to stay at Western Michigan University because I love the success that he was having here. 
But um, I also told them, you know, you got to follow your heart. And if this is the next level for you as a a career, and it it was getting into the Big Ten, you got to take it. An unselfish visionary leader uh, wishes the best for those around him. And I think that's evident in Aaron, but also, PJ, I think that's evident in you with uh, some of the the player changes you've made over the years. Mike? What was the biggest change that you had made, Coach, as a leader over your years of coaching, would you say? Wow. I've evolved so much just as a person, just like you go through life and you you constantly want to change. You know, you're, you're always looking for innovation. You're always looking for new vision, creative ways to continue to teach lifetime lessons and just continue to be better. I think for me, like I said before, I'm, I think I'm a better listener than I've ever been. I know it's still really hard for me. I, I think one of the greatest strengths a leader can have is knowing exactly what they're not good at. And then surrounding them with the right people that that counter their flaws. And I have a lot of flaws. Uh, I'll be the first to tell you. I'm not good at a lot of things. And I don't pretend to be. Really, I feel like have have gotten better and have learned how to. Because you don't know how unless you do it. And you fail and you grow is hiring the right people. Uh, whether it's players or whether it's coaches. We're never perfect as leaders. But when you get the right fit around you and you get the right people who make you better, that's when the company, that's when the business, that's when the program soars. Is when the right people are all in it rowing the boat together. And you've got to learn from failing. You got to learn by getting burned. You got to learn by taking the wrong people. You got to learn by being one in 11. Not to say everybody has to be one in 11, but I think everybody should go through that because you'll, you'll definitely have an appreciation for winning. And I think a lot of people, you know, maybe give us slack for, or even me, how excited I get after wins. Like act like you've, like, like you've been there before. I get all that, but winning is really hard. And the whole goal of that week is to win at the end of the day. And after three hours, if you accomplish that, I want them to capture and bottle that feeling and I'm not afraid to show that. So, but yeah, I think that's what I've learned is the hiring process is the most important part of leadership as well as listening. Hey, PJ, I got a question for you. So when you were in year number three at Western, You had a junior quarterback named Zach Terrell. And um, I remember you telling me that Zach was one of the greatest leaders you'd ever met. And he's a 20-year-old college student. What did you see in Zach at a a very young age that led you to believe he was an amazing leader? He hates this story, but I remember one of the first times I sat down with him, called him in my office, and I was like, you know what? I don't think you're a very good leader. And uh, I don't think anybody ever told him that before. And I didn't even know him really well. I didn't. It was my way of somewhat challenging him. He was pretty quiet and, and almost like feeling it out and seeing if this is something that he was going to really believe in. And I was like, listen, you're either going to jump two feet in this thing or you're going to jump two feet out really quickly. And listen, I, I need some people that are going to be able to understand, know exactly why, and know that I'm here for all the right reasons and take blind faith and go. And I need you to be able to do that. And he was able to do that after that. And, I, and it wasn't about proving to me it was a great leader. I just don't know if anybody ever said that to him because the way I looked at leadership at the time, he had it inside of him, but he wasn't bringing it out all the time. Nor was maybe he expected to because he was such a young player. But I believe everybody can lead. And I believe everybody can do that. You don't, you don't have to be a fifth-year senior to be the best leader. You need leadership from the back, from the middle, from the front. You need it, and anybody can do it. It's just the confidence to actually do it. And he had all that. He had that in high school. He had that growing up. And all he had to do was apply it and not be afraid of what people were going to think about him. And uh, I think he's grown into an unbelievable husband, uh, obviously an employee. He's an unbelievable teammate, everything that you want in a leader. You know, we're just so proud of him and what he's become. And he's taught me so much and made me a better coach. And when your players are teaching you things and making you better, 
you got the right people inside the organization for sure. Absolutely. And we have the honor to be able to work uh, hand in hand with Zach and see all that he's uh, brought to the team at Ziegler. So it's been awesome. Last question I have for you, coach. You know, I got a question about family because it's so important to us at Ziegler. But I've heard you say that when you get home with the kids and your family, you have to change kind of your way of thinking as a leader. Share a little bit of that with us. Well, yeah, you're not leading your 18 to 22 year old young adults. You're going home to be dad and husband. That's very difficult to turn that on and off. I'm not going to ever say that's easy, but I've got a great teammate. And I always say that she's a teammate. She's not just my wife. She's truly my teammate. And teammates make each other better. Whether you want to be better or not, teammates make you better. And that's part of a relationship growing and maturing. You know, Heather and I had a conversation the other day and we were talking about just, it's got somewhat of puppy love. You know, when we all first got together with our wives and things like that, right? And Heather made a really good point. She goes, I wouldn't trade where we are for the first year we were together because we've grown so much together and been through so much together and overcame so much together and changed so much together that we truly are better. It might not be as as flashy as it once was in, in the first month, two months, three months, whatever it is of the newness, but it's way better than it's ever been. And when you have somebody like that in your corner, that's not only just that as a teammate and a wife, but as a, as a mother too, and you have the ability to be a great father and, and come home and, and know you're going to be better in that way and be challenged that way. Absolutely. You know, I mean, my kids really don't care if we win or lose. Absolutely. I mean, they really, they really don't. And you have to find a way to be able to be the example to even your kids of how to be able to lead through adversity and success. And constantly be the example. Yeah, well said. Congrats on your success, Coach, on and off the field. If our listeners want to get a copy of your book, how do they find it? Oh, you can just, uh, I mean, you can Google it. You can Amazon it. It's all over the place. You can go to your local bookstore. Yeah, it's tremendous. You're going to help out a great cause. Like I said, it benefits the Masonic Children's Hospital right here in the University of Minnesota. And that's the main reason why we wrote the book. So I'm sure a lot of people know the story, where it came from. But it can help a lot of people. And and hopefully it's not the last one. And um you know, that's where you can find it. So coach, before uh, Aaron provides some closing comments here, as you look ahead to the 2022 uh, college football season, what is the win for Minnesota football? Are you talking about the number? Yeah. What do you consider a win this year? This is going to be the most generic, dumbest thing, you know, coaches say, but it's true. My job is to make this team better. Yeah. And I'm going to do everything I can to get the most out of this football team. And come next December, we'll look up and see where we finish, you know, December, January, but every day, is to find a way, you know, we talked this year about the OR, which is the energy of our program and, you know, breaking boring, you know, B-O-A-R-I-N-G with the OR in the middle, finding a way to, to soar higher and do it for each other with, you know, that OR in the middle. And I think we're going to do that. You know, we got a really experienced team coming back. We got some newcomers that are going to be able to fill in. We got some transfers that are really talented, but we got to get the most out of this football team. And with the transfer portal and the NIL and all this great stuff, at the end of the day, the best team has the best chance to win. So I'll just find a way to connect this team over the next few months, find a way to make them better. Awesome. We appreciate you being on the show, Aaron. PJ, thanks so much for uh, being with us. The thing that, you know, I love about you is you're the same guy today as the the day I met you. You take your critics and you turn that into uh, a fire inside you that fuels your your success. So congratulations on all that you've uh, accomplished. We're looking forward to uh, watching another successful uh, season here moving forward. And Thanks so much for uh, being with us today. Hey, thanks for your time and uh, anything you ever need, Aaron. And, uh, you know, Ziggler Automotive needs, you know where to find us. And can't wait for you to open some stores here in Minnesota. Look forward to that. (laughs) Thank you, Coach PJ Fleck, Aaron Ziggler, and Mike Van Ryan for contributing to this episode. Until next time, how are you driving vision today?